Hello and welcome. UVA Speaks is a podcast of Lifetime Learning, a division of the Office of Engagement at the University of Virginia. Lifetime Learning brings the knowledge and expertise of UVA's faculty to the university's alumni, parents, and friends. My name is Susan Lynch, and I am the Associate Director of Lifetime Learning at the University of Virginia's Office of Engagement. This podcast features Steve Garland, head coach of UVA's wrestling team and a former Cavalier All-American himself. In his 15 years as coach, Garland led the Cavaliers to 14 All-America honors and 19 ACC individual titles while qualifying 90 athletes to the NCAA championships, among them two NCAA finalists with both taking second. Coach Garland is known as a master motivator, recruiter, and coach. In this podcast, Garland will impart some of the insights that he shared during a January meeting with UVA's advancement staff. I had the pleasure of hearing the remarks and our lifetime learning team thought that the larger UVA community would find them interesting and inspiring. So thank you coach for accepting our invitation and being here today and reprising some of your remarks. Thank you, thank you guys for having me. So during your session in January, you shared comments about four different topics. So I'm gonna suggest a topic and ask you to share your thoughts. Does that sound good? Sounds great, let's do it. Great. So let's start with comments, your comments on goal setting. So, you know, in many work environments, it's thought that we should share reachable performance goals. And can you share your thoughts on, on goal setting? Yeah, I, I was trying not to be too radical, but I, I've learned uh, along the way um, that maybe you have to be a little more crazy when you're setting goals. Maybe you have to be a little, little out there, almost borderline irrational is what I was saying when you're setting goals. And I've, and here's what I mean. As an athlete, I, was even, I even took uh, sports psych classes here at Virginia, which were awesome. And some of the classes I was most engaged, most interested in while, while, as a student athlete here. But you're always taught, definitely set goals, but you got to make sure that they're attainable. You got to make sure that they're rational. You got to make sure that they're reachable and all that stuff. And then somewhere along the way, I thought, wait a second. Well, who, who says what's reachable and what isn't? Who says what's attainable and what isn't? And what I came down to is it's me. I'm the one who determines what, what I can reach and what I can't reach. And so I need to own that. And, and why not? As my friend Jim Harshaw, who's also a UVA wrestler and alumnus and, and proud UVA guy, um, uh, Jim said, look, he calls it B-H-A-G, big, hairy, audacious goals. Big, hairy, audacious goals. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So along the way, I started thinking, well, no, we need to set crazy goals. What if we just start setting goals that people actually think that aren't even possible? Instead of asking, you know, can we do this? You start out, you start assuming you, you yes, you absolutely can, but how can we do this? You, you change that whole mindset. And just to give you some examples, so I'm backing up the concept with real life tangible examples in my own life. When, when I went for my job interview at Cornell University, my first ever job, uh, I remember the head coach, Rob Cole, who was later voted the national coach of the year. He's known as sort of a wizard in, in our little world of wrestling. He said, Stevie, we're going to get an NCAA team trophy. And I thought he was, I laughed at him in the interview. <laughs> Ivy League school that was, you know, top 50 in the country at best with no athletic scholarships. How in the world? And everybody, by the way, told me there's no way you can win in the Ivy League. You'll go there as a stepping stone, but there's no way you can win. I was told that by pretty reputable people in the sport. And this guy's sitting here telling me, not only are we going to be good, we're going to be really good. We're going to be top four in the country. And I laughed at the man. Four years later, we were fourth in the country. Four years later, we walked out of the NCAA tournament with a team trophy. And it was one of the most amazing things that's ever happened in our sport. I mean, nobody, nobody had ever done anything like that in the modern era in wrestling. And I got to be a part of that. And that's where the light 
bulb went off is I need to start thinking like this guy. This guy has a monster mindset and I need to change my mindset and start thinking like that. Well, then fast forward a couple of years later, when I get the job at Virginia, the program uh, was in a rough situation at the time. Uh, they, they hadn't even qualified a guy for the NCAA tournament the year before I got here. And so for the two years before I got here, they were essentially dead last at the NCAA championship. So zero points at nationals, you know, dead last, not even getting a guy to nationals. Now here, here's my point. What if I would have walked into that job saying, well, you know, we're last. And so we'll just do the best we can. And, you know, you set attainable goals and let's just do this and let's do that. And, and instead we set some pretty crazy goals. Um, and sure enough, four years later, we won the ACC championship, which was the first ACC wrestling championship in 33 years. Hmm. So, so before I got here, 1977 was the last ACC title. And four years in, my staff and I, we, we, we were part of that, bringing home that championship. And there's pictures of the elation on our faces. It was just, it was, it was amazing to do that. That's something that a lot of people, frankly, probably laughed at. They were laughed at me when I said it. Um, and then, but here, here's what's great though. Even myself along the way, uh, we broke through the top 10 later on. We were top 15 at nationals. We broke in the top 10 national ranks. We were beating teams that the university of Virginia program had never beaten before. And I stalled out and I wasn't thinking big enough. So somewhere along the way, my mindset, actually, I started conforming a little bit. And, and sure enough, our program growth uh, stalled for a little bit. And so now we're back to being crazy again. You know, now we're, we're, we want to win a national championship. And it doesn't matter that we don't have the resources that these other schools do. We don't have the $10 million wrestling room that Ohio State does. We don't have the budget that Oklahoma does. But you know what? what let's, take, let's take inventory of what we do have. Let's find a way to get it done here. And let's make sure our athletes know that the expectation is elite. You know, the, 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 the standard is elite. We don't want to be good. We want to be elite. We want to be competing for NCAA championships at every weight class. And so, um, again, people probably even hearing that probably think we're not saying it, but, but that's the goal. That's the big, hairy, audacious goal. And, and I think that can be transferred to any walk of life. Uh, I, I think that a lot of times people just need to think bigger. And, and the more we think bigger, um, yeah, good things are going to happen. Yeah, I think that the leader really needs to take sort of the the lead in saying that, right? So as an individual employee, if I put out these large goals and my leader is like, well, wait a minute, I, I think that's, you know, a little too much. I mean, the leader really has to sort of lead the way on that, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I, I've learned that you know, guys I've worked with, I remember them telling me things going into a match. Like, you know, we, we can, we're wrestling this huge ranked team or whatever. And my assistants would say things like, we're going to beat these guys. And I'd be like, Oh, uh, really? I'm like, man, we're, man, they look pretty good on paper boys. You know? And I, and I started being this pessimist. I started being this finding the holes instead of finding the opportunities, which we're going to get to later. But um, so I've learned from the people I've worked with on that as well. And so now, same thing. Now I'm trying to exude that we, we just had our end of the year banquet. And I, I, at the end, I hit the parents hard. I said, guys, we are going to be obsessed. We're going to be relentless on, on this path. And the path is narrow, but we're going to go right down the middle of it. We're not retreating and we're, we're not going left or right. We're staying right down the center. And, and some people probably think I'm crazy. And I think that uh, that's okay. Uh, but, but hopefully more people than not think, wow, I, I want to be a part of that. And if he believes it, if he's crazy enough to believe it, then I'm going to believe it too. Right. Great. Yeah. So you also spoke with us about change and can you share your comments on change? Certainly we've all been required to do a lot of changing in the last year. So can you share some thoughts on that? Sure. And, and I'm preaching to myself here. A lot of times when I talk, I'm actually talking directly to myself because I'm one of those guys I actually are one of those people. I hate change. Hate it. I've had the same haircut since eighth grade. 
You know, not, nothing <laughs> changed. I, I don't, I don't, I, I wear the same clothes. My wife has to beg me to get new, new shoes because I'll wear the same shoes for, for 10 years. I mean, I just don't like changing things up. So, but, but you have to, you can't be afraid of change. And it look, I put it like this. If you continue to do the same things you've always done, you're going to continue to get the same results you've always gotten. Right. I say it again. Right. If you continue to do the same thing you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. Nothing's going to change. And, and I, I've heard it said, I don't know if this is definitely the definition, but a definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And some people listening may say, well, hey, I'm, I'm great with my results right now. We're crushing it at my company well, or my organization. Well, good for you. But most of us, I think, would say we want to be better. I think most of us would admit we need to be a little bit better. And so in order to do that, um, then we got to make changes. And so here, here's the biggest obstacle. When I found, in my opinion, the biggest obstacle to change is pride. It's the biggest obstacle I've seen in my life and, and, and my own personal life, but then also the people I've been blessed to lead. Pride is a stumbling block. And, and here's what I mean. I, I sat a guy down, a young man down, and we had a really rough year. And I said, hey, man, you know, what can we do different? What are we going to change next year? And he said, coach, you're not a one thing I'd do different. I wouldn't change a thing. And I was shocked. I thought, I thought, whoa, man, why don't you want to talk about being blinded by pride? I mean, I, I won't say what our record was that year, but it wasn't, it wasn't where it needed to be. And I thought, well, something's got to change. I got to change. You got to change. And that hit me. Well, then I have to combat pride with two things. So the two answers to pride, and this is the most important part of this segment, is this humility and honesty. Humility, number one, admitting that A, you need help, that you could use help, you could use other people helping you and counseling you and, and, and help you grow, all those things. Admitting that, because especially in my little world of wrestling, the athletes, it's very hard to get an elite guy to admit he doesn't know everything. Believe it or not, 18-year-old men, this is shocking. They think they, they think they know, they got it all figured out. And the funny thing is they don't even know what they don't know. That's how ignorant they are, right? But, but, but they, to them, they got it. Coach, I got it, you know? And so what you have to do is constantly get, get to their heart and, and try to teach them that humility is, no, you actually need the people around you. And you have to ask for that help, admitting that there's actually growth that needs, that needs to happen. So it starts there. The honesty piece is just as difficult. Uh, the second answer is honesty. And the, the joke I always use with my guys, I, I, I just celebrated my 16th wedding anniversary last week. And I said, fellas, I've never woken up in 16 years of marriage with my wife. I never woken up and first thing in the morning, turned to my wife and said, honey, can we just talk about what I stink at? Can we just get into what I'm really bad at today? I just, that's why I want to start my day. I've never done it. And, and the reason why is it's really hard to do. It's really hard to be honest with yourself and attack things that you're weak at, attack things that you need to get better at. The areas that, that you have to improve on, it's a very tough thing to face. But what's great about athletics, at least, is that it forces you to do that. If you want to be good at wrestling, you have to walk into that room and, and, and attack those areas. We call them attack areas. We don't even call them areas of improvement or weaknesses. We call them attack areas. Like You have to attack it. You have to fight that area and get better at that area. And so the, the, where that goes everywhere else, I don't care what organization you're in or what walk of life or where your journey is right now, what path you're on. I would assume that there's attack areas in your life too. And so if you write those down and write the solutions down and get a plan in place and then have the discipline to stick to the plan and then consistency stick to the plan every day, every month, every year, what happens is it becomes a lifestyle. It stops being something you can consciously think about. And it's just something that it's just a part of fabric of who you are. 
that's that's the goal with with when you attack pride with humility and honesty is you do it in a focused, disciplined, consistent manner where it becomes a lifestyle. It's just who you are when you wake up in the morning in that one area of your life that you're trying to improve on. And and again, it takes time though. I think a lot of people want quick fixes, and sometimes, at least more, I, I would say more times than not in life, the fix isn't quick. The fix it's going to take some time. It may take, you know, especially I'll speak for myself. I'll knock myself. There's things in my own life that I've been struggling with for 15 years that I'm still trying to get mastered. And I'm not giving up though. I can't, I got to get better at these areas. And so I've gotten a little bit better each year, but it's not exactly where it needs to be yet. Right. Right. I would say too, there's, you know, there's a vulnerability to all of that and that, you know, we as leaders need to meet people in that vulnerability and, and have a space for that. Right. Don't you think that? Yeah. yeah. That's, and well, and that's the thing that what, what I've, what I've seen, especially in higher education, nobody ever wants to admit they're wrong about anything. It's guard, protect. It's now, I mean, I, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who works for a, a major insurance company and he said, they get taught to never admit you've made the mistake because then you can be on the hook for the actual mistake. And their supervisors teach him that. And I thought that's a horrible way to go through life. Right. <laughs> real, right. real repentance in my opinion, it's the pathway to real change. If you have to be able to admit the problem and say, I'm sorry, and then ask for help on how to fix the problem, right? It's right, like, right. Makes more sense to me than saying, oh, no, I didn't do it. What me? Uh, place blame <laughs> or, you know, block, guard, protect. I just, I don't agree with any of that mindset. Right, right. Great. So you also shared some comments on, on opportunity and how to find and capitalize on, on opportunities. So can you speak to that? Yeah, I think that was born out of, you know, just the trials that we were going through at that time. And that season of my life, when we originally spoke, we, I had been faced with uh, hurdles and trials and adversity through dealing with COVID rules because wrestling is a combat sport. So wrestling, right. on, for example, something, I mean, you can't, you can't breathe. I, and, and we wrestle as coaches, we wrestle with our athletes. So I was personally, physically feeling it. I, I knew how hard it was and going in groups of four, Instead of having 35 guys in a room, you're going in groups of four. You can do the math on that, how long that took for an hour each group. I mean, it, was, it was just a lot of stuff we were going through. And, and so really it was born out of trial and adversity, how, how to navigate through that. And, and, and really what I came up with was this, well, where's my opportunity in this trial? In this situation, how can I leverage it to actually get better? And, and so and how do I turn this obstacle into an opportunity? And so what happens is it starts to be a growth mindset instead of a survival mindset. Because what I originally was in was survival. Let's get through today. Let's just do whatever we can do to get through today. Well, that doesn't help anybody. It's a survival mindset. What Instead, I needed to switch to a growth mindset. And when we did switch to a growth mindset, a lot of great things happened for us. And, and a specific example for the listeners to know, I'm not just saying this. Uh, when, when there was a shutdown with the NCAA, what the NCAA calls a dead period where we couldn't travel. We couldn't go see any recruits. And a huge part of our recruiting model is getting in the home. And because I'm a relationship mm -hmm. one of the pillars of our program. And I feel like we need to get in that house. Again, we don't have the resources that most other these top 10 programs we're, we're trying to beat have. So what we do have, though, is us. And, and what, I'm, um, uh, what I'm explaining to these folks, these parents, is you're coming here for the coaches, the leadership, and what we're going to invest in your son. It's very hard to do that over the phone, right? And so, so we lost this huge huge portion of our, of our, um, of our recruiting model. But the opportunity was this. Now we have more time and we have more energy. I it was the first time in 20 years of doing this job that I didn't have to travel every weekend. It was the first time that I wasn't on the road week after week after week. 
It was awesome. I had all this extra energy. I mean, honestly, and I run pretty hot anyway, but I had, it was like, it was amazing how much better I felt. I was going for walks. I was reconnecting with my wife. I was, you know, we got a dog, as I joked around about earlier, we got a dog. I just was, I was enjoying life. Well, because of that, I could pour even more time on the phone. So I tripled my calls. I didn't double my calls. I tripled them. I spent three times as much time on the phone this year than I ever have in the past, ever. And then I did, we did, um, uh, we created this model to do uh, official visits, but by Zoom. So we had virtual tours and walking guys through. And and honestly, I think it was one of our best recruiting years ever. I, th- I think we actually got more accomplished because we had more time to do it and more energy to do it. So there was the opportunity in this crazy uh, COVID situation. And so that was that was awesome for us. And I, and I think coming out of that, I thought about two things that really helped. And, and this was big through COVID is number one, replacing grumbling with gratitude, replacing grumbling with gratitude. So it's very hard to complain when you're, when you're filled with a thankful heart. It's very hard to be fussing about something when you're too busy giving thanks for what you do have. You ain't fussing about what you don't have, but you're giving thanks when you're instead you're giving thanks for what you do have. And so what, what I would, what I was advising people to do is through COVID is wake up, there's a, I have a journal next to my bed, open it up and write five things you're thankful for before, before you even get out of bed in the morning, before your feet even hit the carpet or the hardwood, you write down five things you're grateful for. It's amazing how that changes mm-hmm. the way you approach your life. And then the second one is replacing pessimism with purpose. I, I mentioned this earlier. I was getting very pessimistic. I was finding all these holes instead of, instead of remembering why I'm doing it in the first place. And so to all the listeners, whenever you're finding yourself in those tough spots, Remember your why. If your why isn't right, nothing is right. Go back to it because your why is the firm foundation on which you stand for everything else you do. Write it down. Have it posted around your house. Have it in your phone. Have an alarm come up once a day to remind you of your why. Have it be rock solid in your heart and in your mind and also written down so that way when those tough times do come because they are coming, you're standing on that as opposed to a result or as opposed to, well, I got to, whatever I got to do that day, it's you know, everything comes off this why. When I start there, then I can go and, and, and face the day. So those are the two big, big things that came out of that for me. Yeah, I think gratitude is is really so important. And, and that's one of the things I've been working on myself this year. I, I do think that that has helped me um, overcome some of the issues with this year for sure. Absolutely. So thanks so much for that. So lastly, you talked about empathy, and I think empathy is one of the most essential things that we can all have as individuals, and it sounds like you do too. So can you talk a little bit about empathy? Sure. I mean, if, if our country needs anything right now, it's empathy, and, and the way I, I define it as understanding and sharing in the experiences and feelings of another. So understanding and sharing in the feelings and experiences of another. And, and where I came up with this, I was actually given a talk. It was a dream of mine to go speak at the Rotunda. I got to speak at the Rotunda years ago. As a student athlete, especially where I come from, trust me, it was, it was a big deal for me. Let's just say that. Maybe people around here take it for granted. I did. I was so excited to get up there and talk. And what I focused on was empathy, specifically dealing with professors and faculty and student athletes. You know, I experienced uh, as an athlete some very negative situations with uh, faculty here. Um, I just, I just, I remember thinking to myself at times as a student athlete, they just don't get it. They don't understand what we're doing. And, 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 they, and it's not their fault. They don't know how are they, they don't even know what they don't know. They don't know. They don't know what this, we're in a combat sport. I'm, I'm engaging in hand-to-hand combat before I come to your class. And that's why I'm sore. That's why I'm grumpy. You know, and it doesn't mean you, you hold me to a different standard, but what it is you can at least understand. You can never share in that probably. 
Unless they come to wrestling practice, which I've never seen happen. They're never going to be able to share that, but they can understand it at least. They can try to understand it. So that was the talk. That was the focal point of talking to the faculty and saying, guys, when these student athletes come in, maybe you can start to try to understand that. Maybe it'll help you guys in your relationship. And the example I used is I said, folks, what you guys don't realize, and I was up on this podium, I could barely lift my head because I had just gotten done with wrestling practice. We had a 7 a.m. wrestling practice and I had a cervical disc injury. I'd ruptured a, a disc in my neck and I'm still wrestling. And I'm saying, um, which I probably shouldn't have just said on, on camera, but, <laughs> but I, I was in a lot of pain. And I said, guys, what you don't realize is just getting up here was a big deal for me just to be able to stand up straight. I'm like, I'm in that much pain right now. And, and you wouldn't know that, right? You would, you would have no clue. And, 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 and I said, so there's things that go on behind the scenes that you guys you, you need to have a little bit better grasp on to maybe understand where this kid's coming from. And so, and that can go any situation, right? You know, I, to kill a mockingbird, you don't know man until you walk a mile in his shoes. I mean, you gotta, you have to be able to do that. And, and I think people don't want to admit that though. People want to think that they know everything they want. No, I got it. I, I know, I know what this guy's, but no, you don't, you probably don't. And I think if we all did that in our own way, and specifically with us when we're working with student athletes is how do I get to this kid's heart? You know, how's his heart right now? How do I find out? How do I dig in there and find that out instead of just focusing on the body part, right? Let's just train him hard. And then that doesn't work yet. Train him harder. But what if I actually got to his heart and figured out what makes him tick and what really motivates him and what his purpose is and what his desires are? How do I get, how do I get to that? And then maybe we can help with the other stuff. And, and so that was a, I think for me personally, I think it's I think it's missed a lot um, in our world. And, and, I, and I, I said this to President Ryan recently. Uh, we were blessed to be on a call with him. We got to get his ear. And I said, I said, listen, um, in wrestling, we call it the step over. You know, when somebody it's amazing, it's sad when somebody gets hurt in our sport, you're so locked in what you do. You just walk over them. You just go to your corner. I said, I said, and that's one thing in combat, right? That's one thing in a wrestling match. I said, but my fear is that we start to take that step over mentality to every other area of our life. Like when somebody else is in trouble, they're struggling. We just step over and we keep going about our business. And I think, I think as a whole, everyone in the university community, we need to reassess that. We need to say, how do we have the opposite mindset where we're actually attentive to what's going on to other people and doing what we can to help them, whatever that may be. Thank you so much. Um, see, this was really, I really appreciate this. This is exactly the kind of a session that we had with the advancement staff that you shared with us. And this is really why I wanted to share this with our with our folks. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your expertise. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. Go ahead. Okay, great. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you all for listening. For upcoming podcasts and other lifetime learning report recordings, programming, and blogs, please visit our website at alumni.virginia.edu backslash learn. We look forward to you taking part in future lifetime learning programs.